dozed off for about an hour, but I'm still running on no sleep. That's just how it is, but, uh, you know, a little, I don't know what that was earlier. I, I didn't consider it an episode. It's like when my cat died. I talked about it a few years ago, but it wasn't an episode. It wasn't part of this, whatever this is. Not that it makes any difference, but anyway... Thinking about you know something I had read in a book about you know the development of Scandinavian culture and this is just going off memory. Actually, let me let me preface that by saying I'll just start from from the beginning of my thought process tonight. <laughs> Let's rather than getting right into that, I'll, I'll start from the beginning of my thought process, which was you know I am the kind of person, and I, and I don't think it's just oppositional defiance. I don't think it's just playing devil's advocate or trying to be, trying to contradict other people. But I am the kind of person when somebody seems like they are too sure of something or that they have it all figured out, even if I mostly agree with them, if they seem too confident in it, I have this tendency to kind of want to go the other way. Not because I disagree with them, but just as a way of kind of saying, don't be so convinced you're that right about this. And that's true politically, where anybody who is so sure that their politics, you know, anyone who's so sure that they, they completely understand everything and their politics are the perfect solution for our, all of our ills, I always question that. And there's no real, even though I do lean certain ways on certain issues and certain ideas and you know, it is something that I have a problem with no matter who is acting that way. Like when progressives or socialists believe that they have the perfect system, everybody just needs to agree and apply it. I always question that. Because you shouldn't be that confident in it. You shouldn't be so sure of yourself. But I always feel the same way when it's somebody who has some sort of well-defined conservative stance. And they're like, well, we have it all figured out. Everything is figured out on our part. We just need to do things our way. When a conservative or a libertarian, you know, who I agree with on many issues. But when they're too sure of themselves, like there's... Some libertarians I pay attention to, one of them is Dave Smith. I like Dave Smith. He's a comedian, but he's dedicated. You know, a lot of his focus is on libertarianism. He's very active with the Libertarian Party. And he's very reasonable. And most of what he says, I find myself agreeing with. It's why I don't get offended if somebody thinks that I'm a libertarian, even though I'm not. I wouldn't even be able to tell you exactly what it is, even though I pay attention to it and I have a basic idea. I wouldn't even be able to outline all of the libertarian stances. And, you know, people don't even agree on all those anyway. But I do find with Dave Smith, I find that he, he's very rational. He's very even keeled. He is a comedian, so he has a sense of humor. There's kind of a looseness to it. It's not like somebody who's just dedicated their entire life to politics He's obviously obsessed with politics, but there's a looseness to it that I appreciate. But even then, I'll be listening to guys like him, and he'll have guests on, and I find that when they're a little too sure of libertarianism, I kind of find myself veering the other way, 
where I'm like, you know, I agree with you so much on so many points, even just as a general philosophy. But don't be so sure of yourself. But the problem is, if you want people to do things your way, if you want, if you do have faith in a certain system, or even if it's just a philosophy, which is how I see libertarianism, it's more of a philosophy than a system, which is why it's so hard to apply and, and why libertarians tend to kind of just get pushed around in the middle, even though it's not really a centrist viewpoint, they kind of tend to get pushed around in the middle. But uh, you know, even as a general philosophy, as much as I agree, like I, I do find that when someone's like a little too confident in that way of seeing things, I'm like, well, you know, maybe you need to lean a little further the other way for a minute. And, and I think one of the worst things is the way certain ideas get branded. You know, I've talked about the bundling, the great bundling, where it doesn't even make sense that certain stances are bundled together as part of a particular political ideology. Like the idea that your stance on gun control automatically puts you in, it, it automatically gives you a certain stance on abortion. Like even the, those two things, they're not related at all. They're not even remotely related. But most people who have one stance on abortion are going to have a certain stance on gun control. Like someone who is against abortion is usually going to be pro-gun. Someone who's for abortion is often going to be anti-gun. There's no reason for that. It's just that's the way things have gotten bundled. And they've gotten bundled so tightly that we forget you don't have to feel that way at all about those things. You don't have to bundle your views together that way. But they get branded. Like they take on the team colors. Like if you think people should be allowed to have abortions, someone will be like, oh, so you're a lib. You're a lib, huh? You're progressive. doesn't matter what your nuanced opinion is of that. But if you give any pushback on abortion, even just a little bit, like if you say, yeah, you know, I don't believe people should be forced to go into back alleys. You know, I don't think rape victims should have to give birth to their father's child. You know, insane situations where it just seems like certain doom if they go through with it. Incest, things like that, you know. You know, someone though would be like, you know, basically, basically, you know, all nuance is lost. But your view on that, you know, it's not part of a team. It's just, it's something you can look at independently. But if you have a nuanced view, depending on where those nuances go, someone is likely to put you in one group or another. If you question the way we go about abortion... Or if you think we should have abortion, but it should be fairly restrictive. We should certainly not encourage it in any way. Someone would be like, oh, well, you're a conservative. And it's like, well, you know, I think we should be allowed to have them. But maybe we should do everything we can to prevent people from getting them. You'll still get lumped into conservatism because you're not just open to the entire idea.
You're not just gung-ho, hey, you know, we need to have extremely liberal abortion laws. Same thing with guns. But uh, that's the crazy thing about like when something gets branded with a, cer- a certain team. And it's one of the sad things about any kind of like public assistance or public aid. How that is associated with the left wing, even though it's a basic human idea that communities will help people who need it. And even conservatives agree with that. Like conservatives will donate their time. They'll donate soup cans. They'll donate money to a specific cause. But the thing you have to understand about conservatives, and it's an aspect of conservatism that I relate to, is that conservatives like to know exactly where their money is going. It's not that conservatives will never give money to people who need it. But they like to know where it is going. And it's an issue with taxes and everything, where it's like we often don't know where our tax money is going. And I believe a lot of conservatives, it's not that they are 100% opposed to taxation. They don't like our system of taxation because the money goes all of these different places. And they don't always go to places where the conservative feels they are needed. And they also feel that a lot of that money is wasted. It's given to people who have you know bureaucratic jobs. It goes all kinds of places that conservatives don't want their money to go. And sometimes they even have trouble knowing where it's going. So that's one of the issues with taxation is, you know, our system is so crazy. The way we tax people on everything, even on, you know, personal interactions. I mean, now, you know, here's my eBay reference, but, you know, now they're looking to tax you on eBay. You know, if you make more than $600, if you deposit more than $600 into your bank account through eBay, through anything now, you're supposed to report that to the IRS. You will potentially be taxed on that. So it's not about being pro-tax or anti-tax. I mean, I think many people who are mature adults would understand that when you live in a community, when you live in a civilization, when you're part of a country, that people have to contribute to that in some way. That the money just doesn't come from nowhere. We need money to keep up on things, to do certain things, to keep things running. I think most mature people would agree with that. And that we all benefit from that. So not you know, even taxation isn't something that's just black and white. Maybe some people have that view, but I don't think that's a very developed view. But it's unfortunate that the idea of public assistance and public aid is so heavily associated with the left to the point where if you even suggest it, Someone's going to think, oh, you're just a commie and you want handouts. Oh, you ever heard of working? You ever heard of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? Your bootstraps? 
your booster straps. You ever heard of pulling yourself up by your booster, your booster straps, your bus, your booster straps? Which there's something to be said for hard work, obviously. I understand what conservatives are getting at when they make those points, those cliche points. But sometimes it veers so hard that way that they forget that simply helping people isn't just a communist idea. And communists and leftists need to be reminded of that too. That's not your idea. You don't get to take credit for that part of human nature that wants to contribute, that wants to help. So it goes both ways. Oh, we're the ones who care about needy people. We're the ones who care about people who need extra help. You, know, you don't get to claim that. You might have built that into your platform, but you're also the ones who make who give us this complicated system where we don't even know who it's going to or how it's being divided. You know, in many ways, your system is the reason why people have such a problem with taxation. It goes into a hole somewhere. And nobody knows where that hole goes. And that hole leads to a bunch of other holes. When you pay taxes, you don't get a report in the mail that tells you exactly where your money went. Oh, it went out on a farm somewhere. Your, your dollar... Your dollar went down a hole, and it came out this hole over here, and now your dollar lives there. It's really happy. It's on a farm. Your dollar bill went to a farm. It's really happy there. We're going to send you pictures of that dollar bill that you paid in taxes just to show you how happy it is and healthy it is. You know, you have no idea. Yeah, there's ways that you can figure some of these things out, but you'd have to make that a hobby and you can't even trust the information and I wouldn't even know how to go about it myself. I wouldn't even know how to track that. But where this gets back to the Scandinavian idea I was mentioning is, you know, something you hear a lot these days, and I, I think I've been hearing this my entire adult life, my entire, I mean, going back to when I was a teenager for sure, which is like, well, just look at Scandinavia. Just look at Sweden. Just look at Sweden. Look at Sweden. Look at Sweden, dude. I just want to keep saying that. Look at Sweden. Look at Sweden. They got socialized health care and it's working out for them. Oh, you don't like socialism, huh? Look at Sweden. It's working out for them. And when I was reading this book about the development of Scandinavian culture, and you know, I'm not going to get this perfectly right, but this was the general idea. And the book had no agenda. It was an old book. It wasn't about politics or anything. It was just about the development of just broader Scandinavian culture, which is interesting to me as a Scandinavian American. But it was discussing like plagues from the 1700s, I think it was. And it talked about how what we would now call socialized healthcare in places like Sweden and Scandinavia came about long before words like socialism and communism even existed. There were these 
widespread diseases in Northern Europe that impacted everybody. You ever heard of those? And as a result, they developed kind of a centralized form of healthcare to deal with that, to help people. Sort of a communal healthcare. Because people were a community. And how that basically laid the foundation. It wasn't that, oh, hey, this guy Karl Marx, he came up with this great idea called socialized healthcare. And they passed it on to Sweden. Maybe Sweden took influence from that. I don't know. I'm not going to say that didn't happen. But the foundation was certainly laid by, you know, practical, the, the practical, it was a practical response to plague and disease centuries ago. It wasn't part of a current political ideology, but when these ideologies take home, uh, take hold, you have a tendency to see you, you, you practice revisionism where now everything becomes that. We see how our current view of race does that. My girl, Whoopi, my girl, Whoopi saying, oh yeah, the ho the Holocaust, the Holocaust, the Holocaust was just white people killing white people. Now you take that view because that's what you know now. That's what she knows now. But you apply that to history. Even though that's not what it was. But we do that with everything. We take what we know now and we apply it to history. It's revisionism. You're not going to go back to 1700s Sweden, Scandinavia, and say... Oh, hey, it was communism. It was socialized health care. It was socialism. Because it wasn't. Even though it's similar, but that's my point, is it doesn't belong to any one way of thinking. If a community of people cares about everybody, they're going to inevitably have certain measures in place to take care of people who need it, to provide resources to people who need it. So it's funny when people apply our current thinking to everything and don't realize a foundation was laid. And what I always think when I hear about that, when people are like, look at what Japan's doing. Oh, Japan has, I don't know, does Japan have socialized health care? I'm asking you. Does Japan have socialized health care? I can't remember. But people use countries like that as examples. Like it works in Japan. Works in Japan. Works in Japan. Works in Sweden. Look at what they're doing in Sweden, dude. What they're doing in Sweden, man. You know, you hear that a lot. A lot. And something that we never consider when we're discussing that, because Americans use that to try to make an argument that America should do the same thing. But something that is different about those countries is they're much more homogenous. Their group identity is much more homogenous. Not that every single person sees themselves as the exact same thing or the same way. People split into groups and factions. Even people who all look the same have their own divisions among them. They have their own tribes. But it's still a much more homogenous place. It's smaller, it's more homogenous, and there's a deeper shared history. Those people are Swedish, and they've been Swedish. 
most of them can trace their ancestors back to that place where they are right now. There's not the division. So nobody feels like somebody else is getting something. Nobody feels that another group is taking something from them. And it's not just people, it's not just, you know, reactionaries who are like, oh, the welfare queens. The welfare queens, they're taking my money so they can buy flat screen TVs and iPhones. It's not just that. Because people would do that about something else. If it wasn't the idea that black people are taking my money and buying flat screen TVs, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't that, it would be somebody else. If that was going to another group, someone would still feel that their resources were being used on somebody who's not part of their own tribe. And you see that way of thinking in everything. Someone who's in a black metal band. You ever heard of a black metal band? Someone who's in a black metal band. Very well might be like, have you ever noticed how the local venues do so much more to promote death metal shows? When you see people who are part of an in-group, this is how they talk. People talk this way. Oh, hey, you know, we're in black metal bands. You ever noticed how the local venues... You know, they book so many more death metal shows. And, and when they have those shows, they do so much more to promote them. You ever notice that? They're using more resources on the death metal bands and not us. And if you think that you're somehow, if they're taking something from you in order to do that. You know, it's what I've referred to before as, you know, one thief jealous of another thief's loot. So much of being alive is that. Where it's like we are, as, be, as living, breathing human beings, that is the ultimate resource. What a powerful resource that is. The gift of life. And I really do believe it is a gift. You know, people say that. It's, it's a cliche. It's a platitude. But I do believe that more and more, that life is a gift and the ultimate resource. But as a fallen human being... It's very easy for us to be a thief jealous of another thief's loot. And I've struggled with that my entire life because we all do. Like I know creative people think this way. When you work for a company, you feel this way. Like I've seen this happen in a workplace where word gets around that so-and-so got a raise. It's not necessarily that that extra dollar came from everybody else. I understand why people think that way. But it didn't necessarily come from you. It wasn't necessarily taken away from you. And you might be making good money. You might be making out very well. And that was the situation I was in where, you know, nobody was making crazy money. But it was a pretty easy job and people were fairly well compensated for their age and everything. But the fact that word got around that this guy who everybody felt was lazy, and he was, he was very lazy. He didn't, to be honest, he didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything to deserve it. But everybody got preoccupied with that. 
And it actually created more negativity in the workplace to have everybody talking about that and gossiping about it. You know, it was a bunch of thieves jealous of another thief's loot. And so it happens with money all the time, of course. It happens with food. He got more of that. I mean, I had a girlfriend one time where we both got stoned and ordered pizza and chicken wings. <laughs> and we were watching a movie and... Like, we had plenty of food. And this is this reflects as badly on me as it does anybody in this. But I think there were like eight chicken wings. And, you know, she wouldn't eat a lot of her food. Like, I'm bigger than she is. And, you know, not that that's an argument. You can see where this is going. But, like, you know, it came down where there was like, you know, she ate three chicken wings. I ate four. And there was one left. And she was the kind of person where she wouldn't really eat much in one sitting. Like, like she would have, like if we ordered a pizza and got chicken wings, like she would eat two pieces of pizza, a few chicken wings, and I would eat four pieces of pizza, five pieces of pizza, four chicken wings. And so there was just this one chicken wing left and I was just like, eh, I just reached and I ate it. It was sitting there. She didn't seem eager to have it. And, <laughs> and she turned and looked at me and she was so... <laughs> I stole from her. Like, I could see it in her eyes. Like, I betrayed her. I took, like, there were eight chicken wings. So, I mean, it makes total sense to me that they would be evenly divided. I get what she felt. Like, I would have felt the same way she did if the roles were reversed. That's why I say it reflects as badly on me. But still, we had plenty of food. There was plenty of pizza left. It wasn't the last chicken wing in the world. The dynamic was normally that I eat more anyway. But it was funny because like she turned to me and her, like her mouth was open and, and like her brow was creased and she was just like, hey. And she brought it up later. Like, like, and it was in a funny way. Like she brought it up like way later. Like you ate that chicken wing. But you could tell even though she was joking about it later, it did bother her. Like, I was a thief. But really, there was, you know, we had plenty of resources. You know, we had, we had plenty of food. We had snacks on top of that. But it was the principle. And I get that. I totally get that. So, of course, people do that with... Those are the most obvious resources. You know, money and food. But what's interesting is you see it with creative people as well. And this is true for a lot of creative people. Even people who have managed to be successful creatively that I've known still kind of have this inside of them. Which is that they have this mentality, this kind of competitive mentality. And I've talked about this before. You know, the way that when creative people are competitive, and they are very competitive, but it often comes out very passive-aggressively. A lot of creative people... Like musicians and artists, a lot of them don't have much experience with like sports and overt competition and aggression, and they hate that stuff. They often have you know a lot of misgivings about that stuff. But I loved sports, and I liked that there was this like upfront competition to it. 
like in football, you know, it's it's kind of a competition over resources. Like you're trying to get the ball, you're trying to win, but nobody has any illusions about what's happening in football. That's what I loved about playing it is at no point do you have to consider, like you have no illusions about what you're doing. You're competing. At practice, you're competing against your teammates. In the game, you and your teammates are competing against other teams. And nobody is trying to, it's not passive aggressive. Football is not passive aggressive. You know, people do get passive aggressive. People get jealous and stuff, like teammates get jealous of each other and stuff like that. But it's not a passive aggressive sport. But in contrast, creative people, they're just as competitive as athletes. And some of them know it and they kind of own it. Like if their friend writes a better riff than them, they want to write an even better riff. And that actually makes people more creative and better at what they do. It's not that it's a bad thing. But anytime you have that spirit of competition, and especially if you're not allowed to address it, it becomes very passive-aggressive. It becomes bitchy. And I think that's good when people are friends. Like when creative, like I think about when I was growing up, my best friend was really good at drawing. I like to draw too. And we would draw together all the time. Like if I went over to his house, sometimes we'd just get out the pencil and paper and we'd both just sit there drawing. And I noticed that we would kind of be glancing at what the other person was doing. We'd both be glancing at the other person's piece of paper and we'd be not really trying to outdo each other, but definitely feeding off each other. And I remember I would see what he was doing and I would think like, oh, his is better than mine. I got to make mine really good. And he would do the same thing because I would notice that he would be glancing at mine and then I would see him just drawing even more intently at his drawing. And when you have a friendship like that, so it's like you're not enemies, you push each other to do better. You hold each other to a higher standard. And it never came to a head where we ever got in any kind of fight over it. It was just this little thing that would play out. And he ended up, you know, caring less about drawing as he got older and did less of it, whereas I did a lot more of it. He got interested in other things, and that was just how it went. But when we were, like, second grade, we were both the kids in the class who everybody was like, oh, those are the kids who draw. Spray Batty here. Called Spray and Batty. But uh, we were the kids who would draw, and so we would kind of push each other without ever stating. It was never stated explicitly. It was just something we did. There was an element of competition to it. But where shit gets weird with musicians is, yeah, people can get jealous over that. People can get bitchy with their friends or their collaborators over that kind of stuff. But when somebody, like, for example, a band feels very competitive with other bands, even if they're not in direct competition... You kind of size them up. Bands size each other up all the time. Artists size each other up. And I think that's kind of the fun of it. But where shit gets weird is if you feel that somebody else is getting more resources than you. They're getting more attention. They're getting better reviews. They have a bigger audience. There's a tendency for people to be like, to hate that person, to be like, they're taking resources that could belong to me. 
And using music as an example, since when do music fans just choose one artist and go, I only like them? Oh yeah, you know, I'm, in, I'm really into music. And I've decided that I'm going to be all in on the Deftones. Can't like anything else. It's the opposite. You know, while those freaks probably exist, there are people who are just like, oh yeah, I only listen to the Deftones. The average music fan is like, I love this band. I want more bands. I want more music. I've known so many freaking music fanatics in my life, and they all want more. As a fan, you know, they don't necessarily see bands as you know, being in competition with each other. They do sometimes, you know, Beatles versus Stones, Metallica versus Slayer. Sometimes they will kind of pick a side in this made-up battle between two bands who are rivals or something like that. Fans do that. Or they'll say, like, this is better than that. So people, you know, even music fans get competitive, where it's like, my taste is better than yours. Oh, I like this band. They're better than that band you like. Oh, this band that I like, they do they do what that band you like does, but better. It's just better. The band I like is just better. People do 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 that. But music fans as a whole, like, they're eager to hear other music. Like, they're willing to spend all of their resources on a whole variety of bands as long as they like them. But I know musicians, and musicians often take this view of they're getting resources that belong to me. I deserve it more. I deserve the attention that they are getting. I deserve the opportunities they're getting. I deserve their audience. They end up thinking that way, and that's not a good way to think. Again, a thief jealous of another thief's loot. Because when you think that way, you almost get conspiratorial about it. Like, it's almost as if that's happening at your expense on purpose, like a conspiracy against you. You know, I was talking about that recently, how easy it is to kind of start thinking there's a conspiracy against you. And how your brain will even do it when there's no way that there could be a conspiracy. I'm still dealing with people not paying me on eBay, in case you were wondering. Had three people in a row. Now I have two more who seem a little bit... One of them, seems like five days ago they bought something. That's a long time. That's when you start to really wonder, is this person going to pay me? A lot of other people, like when I'm selling things, they're not paying me right away. And my brain naturally goes, what is happening here? What, what conspiracy is taking place? But there is none. We do that too when we feel that somebody is getting a resource that we think we deserve or that they don't deserve. That's kind of the thing with taxes. It's like those people don't deserve our tax money. Someone does, but those people don't. They're abusing it. They're manipulating the system. And that's kind of how people like creative people even will look at other artists who are maybe more successful or that they feel a sense of rivalry with. It's like they don't deserve that. Something nefarious is going on that made this happen. There's some sense of justice that is being abused here. Because they're not supposed to sell that many records. 
as if there is some conspiracy. Oh, it's it's a conspiracy to make Metallica a bigger band than Slayer. Everybody got together and decided that Metallica is going to be just a little more famous than Slayer. They're going to be the, the flagship heavy metal band of the mid-80s. I don't know that Slayer felt that way. I don't think Slayer did. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know that they were in competition. I don't. I like them both. Case in point, I like them both. I've spent resources on both of those bands. I own both of those bands' albums. I like them both. Nobody's getting any more resources than the other, even if you prefer one. But it's very easy to get into that way of thinking where like you think there's some sort of conspiracy afoot and you think somebody is getting something they don't deserve. I mean, even in sports, you see that. As much as everybody understands that it's a competition and, and it's not passive aggressive, people still get bitchy. Oh, they cheated. Like when the Patriots were the best team forever. When the Patriots had what, like 20 years almost. 15 years, however long that was, when the Patriots won all those Super Bowls and they kept getting accused of cheating. Oh, they deflated the ball slightly to make it easier for Tom Brady to throw it. Oh, they were filming the other team's sidelines. People wanted to come up with reasons. They wanted to come up with conspiracies why the Patriots were always so good. And maybe they did do things here or there, which all teams do. All teams do little things to get an advantage. But when your team is that successful for so long in so many different ways, you know, Occam's Razor says, like, that's just a good team. They have a great coach and the best quarterback of all time. And you know what? That's important, too, because back then I used to think, oh, they're cheaters. I bought into that. As a football fan, I totally bought into that idea. I resented the Patriots because they were so good. And I wanted to believe that they were doing something underhanded. Oh, they're way more successful than my team. But you know what? After the Patriots beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, my tune changed. Like, I was really pissed. I hated Tom Brady. I hated the Patriots. I was so disappointed that they beat my team in the Super Bowl. But I think it was like the next year, I think it was two years later, whenever it was that the Patriots played the Panthers in the Super Bowl, it was that season. I remember watching the Patriots that season and being like, I don't hate them anymore. This is going to be a lot more enjoyable if I just say, hey, I get to watch one of the best teams to ever exist, one of the best dynasties to ever exist. I get to watch one of the best quarterbacks and coaches to ever play. Why waste that experience on hating this team for X, Y, and Z, for being good, for the two times that they caught doing really minor things that they weren't supposed to do? They really probably had no impact on the game itself. Why spend all my time hating them? I can actually watch an amazing team. And once I realized that, I mean, that was a change for me. I was so freaking cynical still.
just in every aspect of my life. That that was a big moment for me because I was like, holy shit, I can just enjoy the Patriots for what they are. And ever since then, I'm always cheering for Tom Brady. I cheered for him in the Super Bowl last year, and I'm not watching football this year. I watched the Seahawks games, but I just kind of gave up on keeping track. I'm just burned out. Everything's burned me out. But, uh, you know, last year I was cheering for Tom Brady. And, I and you know, I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed just cheering for somebody who's the hero, the good guy. Not that he's a great guy. I don't know what he's like. But just the idea that, like, he's the, you know, he's he's the, like, he's the lead actor. And you can watch a movie and be like, oh, I hate the lead actor. Or you can just be like, hey, I'm cheering for the lead actor because he's the lead actor and he's going to be the hero of the story. But when I realized that, like, I, st- I stopped thinking that way. I stopped, like, thinking, like, oh, the Patriots cheated to get where they're at. I stopped being a thief jealous of another thief's loot. And even though I wasn't playing, as a fan, you identify with your team. You identify with that tribe. Football is very tribal. And it's gotten more that way. I've talked about this before, but football was a little less tribal when I was growing up. Like something that was interesting about the 90s, and I think it speaks to the sort of, you you know, half utopia that was the 90s, where everybody just wore memorabilia by any and every team. People were like these bright, colorful flowers walking around, where it was not uncommon to see somebody wearing like a... Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan jersey with a, like a, a turquoise Charlotte Hornets puffy jacket and like Lakers shorts. It was just the idea was like we're so excited about sports and we love the way all of these teams logos and colors look that we're just going to be like these multicolored flowers who just wear it all. Like your friend would come over to your house and he'd be, he'd be wearing like a Florida Seminoles, a Florida State Seminoles coat. And it's like, he's not from Florida. He doesn't even give a shit. But the idea is like, this is cool. And then I noticed, I think it, I, when I talked about this before, I mentioned this, but it's like, as we've become more politically divided, I've noticed that the same mentality applied to sports. I don't know how things are right now in sports, but... In the 2010s, like as people were becoming more and more politically divided, I started to notice among football fans, way more people were like, declare your allegiance and that's that. Pick one team to like. And if you just like a team for being good, you're a shitty fan. You're a fair weather fan. And when the Seahawks were really good and they had a ton of fair weather fans, I loved it because I was like, you know what? While the Seahawks are good, I can talk to anybody about them. You can run into some random grandma in the grocery store. And if you're both wearing a Seahawks shirt, you can be like, oh, you're going to watch the game? You know, it's like you can talk to anybody. And maybe when the team starts sucking, that person is not going to care. But who cares about that? I understand why it's not fun to watch a shitty team because I grew up doing that. When I was a little kid, the Seahawks were terrible. And I understood that you still support them. And my dad and I still went to the games and we still supported them fully. But as a little kid, like you don't really understand the spiritual side of being a football fan where you, where you, 
identify with your team through thick and thin. Like you want to see your team win. So what did I do? I was also a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, the best team at the time. I was a fan of my local team because they were my local team and my dad loved them and I loved them. But I also had another team. So I would watch the Dallas Cowboys and watch them win Super Bowls and be like, hell yeah, this is fun. It's fun to watch a team win. Was I a poser because I was like an eight-year-old who just wanted to see a team win? No, I just didn't understand that like, I didn't understand the, the spiritual ups and downs of being a football fan. I just thought, well, it's really nice to watch your team win sometimes, so I'm going to pick a team who wins. Everybody loved the Chicago Bulls because they were so good. And nobody, I don't remember any kids or anybody for that matter going around and being like, you just like them because Michael Jordan's so good. Of course you like them because Michael Jordan's so good. Isn't that fun? And people also didn't say like, pick a team. You can only like one team. Hey, I I couldn't help but notice that you're wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey and a Seattle Supersonics jacket and an L.A. Lakers hat. It was just like, we're excited about all this. But I noticed a shift. I noticed in the 2010s, like being a lifelong football fan, I started to notice more and more people being like, you can't like two teams. Because I stayed loyal to the Cowboys. That's, to my credit... I've stayed a Cowboys fan even when they sucked. Like, even though I chose to like them because they were good when I was a little kid, I stayed a fan. And I like more than one team. But I noticed more and more people being like, you can't like two teams. You have to pick one team and that's it. And it's funny to me that that kind of coincided with us doing that politically. Are you left or right? Which bundle do you choose? Very interesting which tells me there's more at play. You know, this is my theory, but it tells me there's more at play to the, you know with this tribal thinking where it's not just that people have become more politically divided. Something has happened in the last 10, 12 years and it was probably building before that that made people that much more tribal. And it manifested among football fans. There was even a commercial about it. There was a there was a, a TV commercial you'd see um, during games like five or six years ago, it was one of the most common commercials. And it was about how like everybody in this family likes a different team and how like the mom has to accommodate that. And I would, I would see people talk about it online. I would hear other people I knew talk about it and they'd be like, they were offended. They were like, you can't have a family who likes all those different teams. Basically, the family should pick a team and stick to it. Because people started to get more tribal about that shit. It's just interesting that that has kind of come about in every aspect of our lives. But anyway, didn't unexpected football rant. What we call an unexpected football rant there. The idea was just this idea of kind of accusing other people of cheating. Like the Patriots can't just be a good team who once in a while does something slightly underhanded to get an advantage, which it turns out a lot of teams try to do, which is the truth. It's not like the Patriots are the first team to think about doing some of the things they did. And they seem to have done them rarely. And their success was so... They sustained their success for so long using you know so many different players 
over so many different years, there's no way that's the result of them simply cheating all the time. But people wanted to believe that. They wanted to think that the Patriots were cheating. They were stealing. They were thieves. Because we tend to think that way. Somebody's taken our resources. It's very primal. Hey, there's an outcome I don't like. Somebody's taken our resources. And in football, it makes sense that you would do that because it's another team. It's another tribe. It's a team you don't like. They're taking something from my team. But that's kind of like, you know, welfare. Another team is taking our tax money. Hey, another team. And yeah, it's gotten framed around race in the U.S. Oh, black people are buying flat screen TVs with my tax money. People go there with it. And, you know, not that there's no element of prejudice in that. Not that people don't go there because of a prejudice against black people. But they also go there because it's simply a different group. And you don't identify with that group. And they're further removed from you. Which is why... People like to have control over the ways they help people. And so someone's going to feel, even though like the, the idea of like donating soup cans or doing a food drive, even though that isn't fundamentally different from welfare, it's public assistance, it's communal assistance. People feel better when they're donating soup cans and they know that that soup can they donated is going to go to a family who's hungry. They have control over what they're giving to those people and how it's going to be used. It's why like when someone gives money to a homeless person, a lot of people don't like the idea that that person could turn around and spend it on beer or drugs. Some people don't care. Like I'm the kind of person, like on the rare occasion, and it it is very rare, but on the rare occasion that I give money to a homeless person, I have the mentality of once that money leaves my possession, it's no longer mine. And that person can do what they want with it. Like I remember being in high school and once in a while my mom would be like, here's $20. Here's $20 to take around with you if you need anything. And what did I do? I went and bought a bag of weed. Bought a, what we called a, a 20 sack. Bought a 20 sack. People called them twomps. There was a period where people called a 20 sack a twomp. Don't know where that came from. And you know what? My mom would probably be upset about that. At the very least, she would be a little sad. Like if she knew that giving me a $20 bill for food or movies or whatever it is that kids do, she would probably be a little sad if she knew that I went and did what I wanted with it. But in my mind, it was like, I'm not stealing that money from her. She gave me that money to do what I want with it. I can use my own money to buy food or to go to a movie.
I got a crisp $20 bill. I'm going to go buy a bag of weed. So I have kind of the same mentality where like when something leaves my hand and now belongs to somebody else, they can do what they want with it. And I feel that way about welfare money as well. I think the welfare system has a lot of issues. But if people are getting money through the welfare system, I don't have a problem with them buying a TV or an iPhone. You know, I mean, they're welcome to manage that money how they see fit. Is that irresponsible? I don't know. Maybe they have it figured out. I don't know. It's not my job. And if you knew that person, you might feel different. Like if you knew the person who's getting your tax money, and even if they buy a TV or an iPhone, you might rationalize it better or you might understand why that's important to them. You might be like, oh, you know, they have a big family. By getting this TV, this big TV, they're going to keep, it gives them some entertainment They have a bunch of kids. It gives their kids a chance to watch something and be distracted and gives them an escape. Oh, the iPhone. Oh, hey, they can use that to for work. Or whatever. You know, it doesn't you don't even need to to go that far with it. But it's just it, it you know, it's not a one size fits all as to like why somebody spends their money a certain way. And once it's their money, They can do what they want with it. But I mean, it also makes sense that we like, if we're giving somebody something, we like to know what it's going to. It's why an investor, you know, when somebody invests money in a company, likes to know how that money is being used and they want a return on it. And I think that idea is built into welfare and public assistance as well where there's this kind of idea that like if if my tax money is going to go to helping these people i want them to be productive members of society i want the community to be stronger but if you don't even feel like they're a member of your community or your tribe things get weird and so that's where a lot of the resentment over welfare comes from It's not all about racial prejudice. You know, a large part of it is also simply, this doesn't seem like it's, like you can't see the results in your own community. And you don't even see it. Once again, your money goes down into a hole and it enters this network and, and that money like exits through all these other different holes that you don't even see. And there are people who don't need that money who are getting some of it. There are government employees who are getting some of that money. To do what? Well, I don't know. We don't really know what they do. They have bureaucratic positions. So it's this weird game where it's like, you're not just giving a soup can to somebody and there's only one way to use that. Either it gets used or it doesn't. Either somebody eats the soup or they don't. But when you donate soup cans, you also have an idea that that's going to be used in this community. Because we, again, like to see the result. 
Even if we don't see that, even if we don't see people eating our soup that we donated, there's this idea that like people who are hungry, who live here, who are part of this community will benefit and we all benefit from that. And we do. We all benefit from fewer people being hungry. But it gets into measurables and it gets into accountability. And that's where things get tricky. Because on one hand, I have the mentality of like, once something leaves my hand, someone can do what they want with it. If I hand a can of soup to a hungry person and they say, I don't like this kind of soup and they throw it in the garbage, what can I do? Because some people take the mentality of, you should be happy with whatever you get. Oh, if you're hungry, you should be happy with whatever I give you. Well, people still have taste and preferences. You know, even your pets do. Like you feed your pets something sometimes and they don't like it. And you're like, you're going to eat what I want you to eat. People do this with their kids. You should be happy to get anything. People still have taste and preferences. Homeless people have taste and preferences. But I understand why people... You know, I understand, like, even though my mentality is a little bit different, it's not absolute. Like, even though I'm okay with... Like, if I give a homeless person five bucks, I'm okay with them spending that on heroin or beer. Because it's not my money anymore. I'm not following that money. But I also understand why you wouldn't like that. And why that makes someone hesitate to give money. Because like I said, it's rare that I give somebody money. And maybe, you know, maybe one of the reasons is like, one, I need it. I need my money. And maybe number two is I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what it's going to be used for. I don't know what that person's situation is. I don't even know if they're actually homeless. I don't even know if they're even in need. They sure seem like it, but I don't even know that. There's mystery. So anytime you give somebody anything, it's this act of faith. Where it's like, I'm going to hope that this works out for the best. I'm going to hope that they use this for the best. And I'm not going to act like they're taking a resource from me. Because if I voluntarily give it up, it's now their resource. If I give a homeless person money and they spend it on beer instead of food, I'm not going to, you know, it's very easy to feel like they now stole something from you. Because you used that resource on something that I didn't approve of, you pretty much stole from me. No, it's, it's not what they're doing. You gave it to them. It's the same thing if somebody gives you something and you sell it. If somebody gives you a gift and you think like, I don't need this. I don't want this. But I can return it or sell it and get something I do want, which is money or something to exchange it for. That seems like a win-win. People take it personally though. Like I got you this gift. And yeah, sometimes someone gives you a personal gift and you are an asshole for exchanging it. But to me, it seems like alchemy or something. 
Like if somebody gives you a gift and you don't want or need it and you do want and need money or something else, seems like a, like alchemy to take that gift and turn it into something else, to turn it into gold. And nobody should be offended by alchemy, I'll tell you that. Nobody should be offended by alchemy. But there's something in us that, that does feel upset about that. And I, I know that feeling. They, did, they don't want what I chose for them. But you know what? It's no longer mine. But I think, you know, what's, what's built into that, though, is I know that person and care about them. That person is part of my immediate community because they're my friend or my family, which is the basis of all community. Communities are formed by families, friends. It gets more abstract as it gets larger to the point where now you hear phrases like the intelligence community to refer to the CIA, FBI, NSA. We got the LGBTQ community and we got the intelligence community. You know, once the idea of community becomes that abstract, we don't even know what we're talking about anymore. We don't even know who we're referring to. And once the CIA starts referring to itself as a community, maybe it's time to use a different word or the idea is just fucking lost. But I think we're more okay with people having autonomy and doing what they want with the resources we give them when we do feel a sense of kinship or community with them. And that's something that gets lost in our system of taxation. That's something that gets lost in public assistance when an entire country is doing this. It's not even just a state. But when... You know, some amount of your tax money, you know, getting away from public assistance when just some amount of your tax money is going to things that impact people that couldn't be further away from you geographically. You don't know them. You have nothing in common with them. You'll never see them. I mean, look at the way our tax money goes to fund wars. The way our tax money goes to other countries. That bothers people, bothers me. When tax money is going to fund a war in the Middle East, insane. But I don't think any of these ideas should be coupled with one political ideology because I know for a fact that conservatives don't have a problem helping people. But I think there is something built into conservative-minded people that says, if I'm going to help people, I want some evidence that it's helping. I want to know how they're using it and what they're getting out of it. Because I also want something out of it. And it's not wrong to want something out of your own charity. It's not wrong to think about that. You shouldn't get too caught up in it. You shouldn't try to control what other people do 
with a given resource. But it's not wrong to think about that and care about that. I think it's natural. But we live in a time where we have no clue. And we only hear the worst stories. You know, we only think about the people who are abusing the system. We only think about the people who are buying those sweet flat screen TVs, dude. You know, we don't think about, you know, it's the negativity bias. We don't think about the people who are actually using welfare money to survive. Using it on things they need. Using it to make their kids' lives better. Or to make something of themselves. You know, we don't tend to focus on that. We tend to focus on the people who are abusing it. And unfortunately, it's easy to abuse. And a lot of people have a mentality of, well, if anybody is abusing it, I have the right to abuse it too. And so they do that. They're a thief who is jealous of another thief's loot. And they're like, well, they're stealing. I might as well steal too. That's about all I got. I would say we have to remove these things from the brand they're associated with. We have to remove these things from the tribe they're associated with. Because they don't belong to anybody. I think some people have certain tendencies. I think some people tend to view these things one way or another. But they're not really tied to any one way of thinking because they're all based on human nature one way or another. Like there is something in human nature that for a lot of parents makes them say, well, I can help you out if you need it. But even a parent who is helping someone A certain sort of parent might be like, well, if I'm going to help you, I need to know that my help is actually doing something. I need to know that you're actually doing something. Whereas another type of parent is just like, well, whatever, I'll help you. You can do what you want. There's different philosophies on that. And if it applies within the family, it's going to apply within the community. But the more abstract it gets, the more removed it gets from your day-to-day existence, the more questionable it gets. The harder it is to track, the harder it is to measure, the more holes in that network where it'll pop out like a mole. The resources that you are asked to give the taxes that you are forced to pay, you throw them down in a hole, there's a big network of tubes, and your money travels around in those tubes, and then it pops out of those holes like a mole or Super Mario. And you think, like, I sure hope my money doesn't pop up there, but it might, because you have no control. And I think that's one of the big issues, is that a lot a lot of people would be willing to pay taxes or they'd be more okay with it if they knew exactly where it was going and how it was spent 
And even though there are reports on that, you know, you, you don't really, you, you don't feel like you're getting an honest, straightforward answer. But uh, I don't think that's just a conservative way of thinking either. I don't think conservatives are the only ones who want to know where their resources are going and why and how it's working out. Just like I don't think progressives and communists are the only ones who are willing to you know, give money and resources to their community to society to help it. I think th both of those things are in everybody. But they've gotten bundled in with certain ways of thinking. And we need to remove ourselves from it because I think both those ways of thinking are important. Children can 